Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. Yes, we are back and this week we are going to talk about all the rounds of Russian Premier League Liga results and um, yeah, some interesting ones this week to chat about. Um, Lok Moscow, Dynamo Moscow, 1-1 the derby. We got Ufa against CSKA Moscow, 0-3. Orenburg against Zenit, 1-2. Spartak Ahmed Grozny, 1-2. Two, we'll definitely have to chat about that one. Ruben Kazan, Yenisei Krasnoyarsk, 1-0. Arsenal Tula, Krilja Soveto Samara, 4-0. Anshi Machachkala, FK Krasnodar, 0-4. Ural against Rostov, 1-1. Yeah, those results to chat about. We got the Champions League results to chat about. It's a little bit of a special on Canadian playing for Red Star. Yeah, the John Terry disaster. Oh, a lot of bad news for Spartak Moscow this week. Tim, Tim Bogdachev to join me. He's the man on anything Spartak. He's going to hopefully be able to shed some light on some of the things that are going in. And then, of course, we have our special guest, Andrew Flint. He's going to come in a little late. But first of all, Tim, how is it going? Good morning, Manu. Yeah, it's been a tough week <coughs> for Spartak. I was away on vacation, so I just came back and um, came back to a bit of a disaster in my favorite football team. So we'll obviously chat about that. But yeah, it was an interesting set of games in Russian Premier League. And uh, we'll talk about that and a little bit about Chapers. Like, this is good. Yeah, and then I understand we have Andrew Flint on as well. Um, he is on road, I think, to a game at Chuman, the Geolog. Huh? What's that even? <laughs> <laughs> hello guys, you, hello, hello. You can hear the beautiful Geolik in the background, right? You, you certainly can. The beautiful sound is the, the sound of silence from non-existent FC Sochi fans, which our colleague Saul Pope will be delighted about, I'm sure. Um, tell, us, tell, yes, us what, yes. tell, tell us where you're at and what game is it, because I have no idea what's going on. Uh, well, I am at the, the best stadium in the world, the Geolik, <laughs> of course. Um, FC Turan against FC Sochi in the Fanel, which is actually a really important game for us because Turan are just above the relegation zone. Um, and we don't have many home games compared to others. We've played seven or eight already at home, so almost half a home game's gone already. So if we don't get a win here, then could be a bit of a cold autumn and winter coming up for us. Yeah, I'm just looking at the table there, Andrew. You guys are 15th in the FNL, the second division in Russia. Uh, 10 points out of 11 games seems to be, I mean, this is a key match. No, uh, 100%, it really is. Um, I mean, not just to get one over on Sochi for, for Saul's sake, much as uh, that is a very, very worthy motivation. Um, the problem with Tumen is, and actually, it is a story of a lot of teams in the Faniel, is that so many games are so close. So many games have been drawn uh, against your hometown team, Tim, against Sibir. Uh-huh. It was a nil-nil game. We, You know, Chimen controlled most of the game, but just could not finish to save their lives. And that's, that's the thing about the Russian tier. If you have a goal scorer or a really good finisher 
then you will absolutely sweep up the division because there's not actually a huge amount of difference in general quality between three quarters of the teams in this league. Uh, so you have a world-class finisher like Hassan Mamtov, um, and you'll have no problem. The problem is we don't. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the table, and um, there's our friends Tom Tomsk at the very top, um, trying to have oh. another run at the at promotion to the the Russian Premier League. Of course, those who remember Tom Tomsk last time they were there, it was a bit of a disaster, right, Tim? Yeah, it was. They were they ran out of money and they finished the season with pretty much teenagers playing in the Russian Premier League. And obviously, they um, you know got relegated a long time before the season finished. And but look, it looks like right now they are back. Andrew, question for you: You played against uh, Jimin played at home against Tambov. Um, that team is second in the FNL. Uh, could you please tell a little bit about them? Yeah, no, absolutely. Tambov uh, were certainly the best side who have come to the Gulag this season so far. And I mean, but again, I repeat, the, the gap in overall quality is not, it's not enormous. It's just they were more organized. They were a very, very well-drilled side, um, very organized. I actually saw a few similarities between them and Orenborg, um when they were in the second tier. Um, I mean, in the Premier League this season, they started very well. Um, they, had a couple of defeats recently, but they are not looking in danger of relegation immediately anyhow. Um, but Tambov, uh, yeah, they, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with a lot of the players because there's so much movement at this level, as you know, Tim. Um, you know, in the summer and winter transfer windows, teams can, squads can change almost half their, their personnel. But as a, as a team, they are definitely going to be there or thereabouts, as they have been for the last two or three seasons they've been in or near the playoffs at least. Um, and like you I said, they, they have a goal scorer, Hassan Mamadov. Oh, I didn't want to mention it. I didn't want to say it. It was painful to watch. And Tim, would you believe, to prove my point and to compound my agony, within one minute, who had scored <laughs> when Tambov came to Chumen? Um, I'm not normally a fan. No, well, I was just about to say, you know, normally I'm not a fan of players doing the whole hands up, the apologetic, I'm not celebrating against my former team. But it it wasn't even a decision. He couldn't. Emotionally, his heart is not in Tambor. Two <laughs> men still, of course. Um, he didn't, he didn't celebrate, but he, well, I mean, he was the difference. I mean, he really was the difference. Um, you know, he drifted between players. Nobody could pick him up. His finish was, was top class, as you'd expect. And, Oh, it was a painful reminder of what we're lacking, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't get the not celebrating. Um, not a fan of that. Just no, I, 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 Manny, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, it's got to be something quite spectacularly. Well, it has to be Maldini scoring against Milan, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it would have to be something like that, and that is, of course. The case with Mamtov coming back to Chiman. Um, <laughs> yeah, similar quality, right? <laughs> similar level. Well, I mean, you know, Maldini could possibly, possibly lick Mamtov's boots. You know, he might just about get a spot in his testimony or something like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, okay, we, we are joking, but and I, I do mean, but right here in the Fanel, it's so rare to have a player who has any meaningful connection with a club because of the movement. And Mamtov is, it generally is one of those rare players who does have that. He was at Chumen for four, maybe five seasons, I think it was. Um, you know, and he has been on squads of higher level play, uh, high level squads of better clubs, but he stayed at Chumen, um, even when we, I admit, were terrible. Uh, and so he is a rare case of somebody who really does have that sort of connection. Yeah, it's interesting that because we all know of your love of Mamtov, Andrew. That's, I mean, that's how I got to know you. You know, you were the the guy living in Siberia, sporting a big beard and loving Mamtov. <laughs> <laughs> well, any any sane person would love Mamtov. I mean, the the guy is just. I mean, there's nothing. I don't know what anybody could say against him, um, unless you're a Chile Evans fan, of course. No, um, to move away from Mamtov. I know it, it will it will break your heart a little bit. Um, I'm on the FNL homepage, Andrew, and I'm seeing an advertisement here called where it says, um, "Yes for Bros, Natimo Dopinger." 
Yeah. You can, you can write them an, a question on WhatsApp or write them a message via email on any questions you have about doping. I assume this is for the players. Have you seen this before? Um, I haven't, but I'm, I'm slightly concerned. It almost sounds like they're trying to give them advice on how to do it, but, um, <laughs> let's, let's hope it's not that way around. Um, perhaps, perhaps their advice will include moving to Spain at an early age, living in Spain entire life, and then still being tainted with the rather lazy Russian dopers brush. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think doping is really going to have much effect at this level. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, the, the, the margins are so narrow anyway, so uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected many callers there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting advertising to have on the official homepage of the FNL, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at this right now, and yeah, it says that uh, uh, that the Russian FA is open an hotline um, you know, to support the Russian football as a clean football without any doping. So anyone can call them up and ask a question about doping and to get, to get an answer. And it says it's not only for public, it's also for, uh, players, coaches and the medical uh, assistants. So here's a email or a WhatsApp address, which is, yeah, interesting to think to have. But I guess, you know, like uh, after everything what happened in Russian sports in general, um, you know, there need to be some kind of message about um, the, you know, the use of doping and the use of just different uh, medical medical things because, you know, at the same time, and I'm not sure how, because I'm, I've never been on that side of the uh, spectrum, but it's maybe sometimes just, you know, maybe even the doctors sometimes not sure which are um, allowed uh, med medicaments, which are not, because sometimes we hear those stories, sometimes a player would I take something against the flu and, uh, this, uh, this, this pill ends up having something which is illegal. And really they knew they didn't try to, uh, enhance their performance. They just tried to fight the cold, you know, and sometimes maybe I, I'm not sure how, you know, probably doctors need to know, but I'm still sure that there's some still questions at gray areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one because of course we had the, um, case with uh, Cherizhev, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I believe that entire story emerged because of something his father said to the media. Yeah, yeah, it was misinterpreted, you know, mis misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, his father said something about but yeah, it was misunderstood and they did some checking and everything was fine, so... Yeah, I'm glad that the story is behind and nothing came out of it because really having one of the best players of the World Cup having issues with doping that would have been would have not been nice. I, I thought it was interesting how every pundit in in England jumped on this. Of uh, course they did. Yeah, without even knowing well, the background story. Not. Yeah, of course that that's that's their job. Um, I mean, actually, look, I mean, purely from an editorial writing point of view. They did do an absolutely fantastic job of mentioning the word Russia or Russian as many times in a headline and first sentence as humanly possible. And I, I just, I found it, uh, I found it laughable, not because they are focusing on doping, which is a very important part, actually, genuinely, is of, of journalism, if you can uncover what's going wrong. But what they did was completely forget the fact that his entire youth was in Madrid. He grew up through Real Madrid's youth system. And don't forget, of course, that Madrid is where all of the, the cycling doping scandal has centered around. It is, in effect, the, the doping capital of the world. And they, they airbrushed over that part of it. Um, and it was, it was, I don't know how many times have we said this, it, it was lazy. Yeah. You know, they didn't stop to look at, even if you had misquoted what um, Cherishev Senior had said, it was to do with growth hormones. Now, I understand what people might say. I don't think growth hormones should be allowed because it is a gray area. It does encourage, you know, a higher capacity. It, you know, your strength is increased. So of course there is benefits that could be got from it. But the point is, if you are prescribed it by, you know, through the right channels, it is perfectly accepted. Uh, and of course there's Lionel Messi has taken growth hormones or used to at least right from the age of 13. In fact, that was even part of his original deal to move over from Argentina to Barcelona. But of course, there's no mention of Lionel Messi with all of this. Now, that sort of, that sort of journalism is lazy. 
if they'd have simply reported what was said and raised the issue, well, look, should growth hormones be allowed? That would be sensible and that would make sense and that would be worthwhile. But, um, but Manu, we're talking about the British media here, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the lazy retweet click, um, not researching the topic properly. I think, uh, that's why we didn't really pay any attention to it over on, on football grad because it, for, I think it was a non-story. Um, so I, I'm glad we explained it on this and, uh, I think we can, we can ha happily, happily say, okay, yeah, done. <laughs> Um, moving on, um, and we should be moving on because we have other things to discuss, things that um of far greater importance, uh -huh. like uh Locomotive Moscow, guys. We have to chat about them. Now, um we had a little bit of a chat on WhatsApp, and I know, Andrew, you were involved in that, where we talked about Locomotive in the Champions League, and um people people suggested that Schalke would have uh, trouble when they when they go to to moscow and then the two of us were saying like wait a minute here this is an unlikely scenario <laughs> um we did the the preview for lock moscow against dinamo moscow on football grad i believe i had this down as a draw and that's exactly what we got um lock moscow not exactly looking great against dinamo moscow side that isn't fantastic either and then of mm. course the result in the champions league we'll get to that in a moment but um, it's just not clicking for Lok Moscow, is it, um, Andrew? No, absolutely. It's it's quite remarkable from the outside, at least anyhow, how a team that well won the championship and won it through a very clear system that they were playing. It wasn't expansive football, uh, but they had the they had the right people in the right area um, of the pitch. Jefferson Far fan was of course he stood out a lot and he's not he's looked a bit sluggish this season he's not looked quite as focused or perhaps even motivated I don't know what the precise word would be but they just don't look even remotely the same side they're now what 10 points off Zenit after only seven games and in a short championship like this with only 30 matches in total I mean that's a huge margin in in any league even if it's a a, a 20 team league so I think the problem really is, and I hate to say this, but I think it's Yuri Simon, because he is 71 years old. He's, he is a legend undisputably for what he has done, but he's so set in his ways. He, he hasn't managed to get, uh, I don't know exactly what Benedict Hervedes' fitness is like, but he did play, um, last night. But, you know, the fact that he is a very, a very good player. He may be a lesser player than he was before, but he's a quality player for the Russian Premier League and he's had, what, about three or four minutes in, in on the pitch domestically. Um, I think I think they're in trouble. Fyodor Smolov is not firing at all and I think I blame Artem Zuba for that, who's stolen his mojo as Russia's number one striker. Now, you bring in, your, you bring in a striker like that and he misfires, Jefferson Farfan is, is looking disinterested. Manuel Fernandez is still debating about his contracts. You know, there were pictures of him and some in deep in discussion last night before, oh, sorry, two days ago before their game against Galatasaray. It didn't look exactly cordial. These are all factors, but there could be a lot more behind the scenes that we don't know about on a personal level. So how loco go from here? Um, I don't know. And it may well end up requiring a, a change of personnel, possibly. Wow. Tim, Yuri Simin, the guy who got them to the title. Um, Andrew suggesting that he may be the one having to go. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's a, could be a particular likely scenario given all the conflicts and um, Ilya Gerkus and Yuri Simin. So the, they didn't even hide the fact that they had some uh, misunderstandings and some a bit of a call them and um, pretty much last year it was um, you know the results were talking for you to sermon he won the league and really there was no reason to fire him given that you know the team is not doing very well right now and that Ilya Gerkos really has the power to fire him and they have conflict that could be potentially a likely scenario but the, to me I don't think it's very surprising 
uh, what's happening even bef- be- be- before the uh, beginning of the season. I have been saying that it will be a tough season for Lokomotiv and I don't see them fighting for the league. And the reason for that was because really the way they won the league last year, uh, it was really, um, it, it wasn't the team which really played um, a level above everyone. They were just very organized. And uh, they kind of got lucky because Spartak and Zenit and CSKA didn't have a uh, um, fantastic season. They did well. They were the best team uh, last year, but they were not marginally level above. And, you know, given that uh, this year they have the, you know, kind of post-championship hangover, they also have Champions League additional games. I didn't really see them, you know, keeping that focus because really I think the, the reason they won the league last year, it was the focus, it was the organization, it wasn't the, the football they played. So, you know, if you, if your head is not there anymore, if the focus is not there anymore, I didn't see anything that could give them, uh, in terms of football, um, you know, same results. So if you lose that focus, you lose that organization, uh, there's nothing really left uh, out of that team. Of course, there's quality of players. They're not going to get relegated, of course, but I'm saying in terms of just fighting against for the trophy. And what's happening right now, it's not a surprise to me. I think, I think that's, 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 that's what was supposed to happen. Um, it's just really have to see how the, um, the club and the coach will find a way out of that. And if they will find it. Um, last night they weren't great and obviously losing in Turkey 3-0 isn't a great result. Um, they were good for about 20-25 minutes. I watched uh, a bit of the game and there were some positives, but obviously, you know, losing 3-0, it's, it's, it's nothing really to write home about. So it is, a, and their next game is away in, in, in St. Petersburg. Uh, which is also not going to be an um, easy game because Zenit is, is in a very, very good form. And it could be a very tough week for, uh, for Lokomotiv. And but like I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really, I won't be surprised if Yuri Semen will be gone given the relationship between him and the board and Ilya Gerkos. It's amazing how quick things can change, isn't it? Exactly. It's, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's just incredible. And I mean, when you look at last night, um, there's first of all, no Fedor Smolov, right? Um, key signing for the club brought in as, you know, Eric Stoffelshaus spoke to transfermarkt.de, um, before this game in a lengthy interview and said this, that they signed, um, the best striker available on the Russian market. And, uh, I mean, about a year ago, we would have all agreed with that statement, but now he is not even in the squad because not fit. Um, that's alone is already quite quite damning, isn't it, Andrew? It is really. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, Smoloff. I you know I don't buy it's 100 percent fitness. To be honest with you, mm. um, I think it's mentally. I think he is a mood player, not quite in the same way that Juba is. Now we've talked about Artem Juba needing conflict in a way, needing adversity. Saul Pope mentioned it a few episodes ago. Um, with, with Smoloff, I think he, he actually doesn't have a great record at proving himself in the big games against teams. He will score two or three against the mid-table sides. And as soon as his mojo is knocked off, it, it disappears. And, you know, you've got to remember, he's only really been scoring goals on any meaningful level for the last three or four years. Um, in fact, it was here at the Geolog where he kick-started his career well, in fact, started his career, you could argue, on loan from Ural. He scored, what was it, eight goals, I think it was, in half a season. And once he was knocked off the starting spot for Russia, I think that was sort of the beginning of this slide for him. He knows he's missed his boat for a big move to Europe. He's no longer the first-choice striker for Russia. And fitness is the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? You know, clubs will say that to spare the blushes of a striker who's either off form or has personal issues. Um, so, yeah, I, I I love the man for what he did to save Oral from relegation, but he's not the man to lead Loco further up the table at the moment anyway. Yeah, tough times. Uh, really tough times over at a locomotive Moscow. I guess it's going to be really interesting to see that game against Zenit on the weekend is a key match. I mean... Tim, you said it. They, it's basically almost already gotten a must-win game for them, and Sinida in very good form, right? So it, it's going to be very hard for them to get anything out of that. 
Yeah, Zenita is an top form and they're playing at home and we saw even, you know, the games against Spartak, how tough, how good they were and how tough to get anything in St. Petersburg right now. And, um, you know, Spartak played a good game, but I don't think Lokomotiv right now are in this condition. Like they were, for example, last year, they were brilliant. They were, they were, you know, um, but not this year. There's nothing really, I don't really re- recall a one really good match by a locomotive like there was they didn't have like a good solid 90 minutes of football when they were um really good not to say that they had this last season but they were getting results and results are not there anymore so really you know after two big losses if if a loss against zenith and petersburg happens yeah the yuri seven might be in trouble and i respect the man for you know he's a historical coach for russian football and for locomotive moscow and you know i wish him well but again like i i, I don't want him to be sacked i don't want to be any coach to be sacked but um really like you know given what we know about his relationship it could be potential he yeah yuri sermon has to change something quickly and the results have to come very very quickly because really they they, they don't have time they run out of time and uh, champions league is important for them and um, they need to fix situation right away yeah i think that sums it up well um, I want to move from uh, Lokomotiv to Spartak, Tim. Oh. I, I, I can hear the enthusiasm. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> um, one week ago, we chatted about a potential transfer. And at, at that point, the transfer seemed to be very much done and dusted. Um, it would have been a signing of great magnitude, um, a fascinating signing in many, many ways. And Tim, you wrote an article on your cell phone while flying to California. Um, by the way, loving your California pictures. I was very jealous. Um, <laughs> not so jealous of what happened next <laughs> because you wrote this article on your cell phone on the flight and then you insert, we also recorded a text, um, that we could insert into the podcast because you weren't able to make last week while we, because obviously you were sitting probably on some, uh, terrace drinking wonderful cocktails and uh, beers and, uh, <laughs> touring San Francisco. Um, while you were doing this, things were unfolding at Spartak and, uh, John Terry, the man who was supposed to solve your misery in defense, um, the deal fell through. Tim, how, how are you feeling this week? Well, that's not only one thing that happened. There was also a loss to Ahmad Grozny, and there's also a, a pretty much scandal um, in the club when uh, the captain of the club, Denis Glushakov and Andrei Yeshenka, are moved to the second team to train with the reserves. So, yeah, this week has been uh, interesting. But going back to John Terry transfer, what happened... Uh, to be quite honest, when, when, when me and you were talking and when I was in the airport writing this article, what was announced, and apparently this is true, that everything was agreed. All the terms were agreed. John Terry agreed to join the club. Uh, the, he agreed on the personal terms and everything was done. And pretty much, um, the club was waiting for John Terry to arrive to, uh, Moscow to do the presentation. But he went back to to London again I'm allegedly apparently I, I haven't been in London I haven't spoke personally to John Terry I'm just saying what the different journalists and insiders reported but uh, what happened that um, there was a decision because John Terry has kids and his wife um, was not sure about you know just taking the kids and which I think at the age of 12 like fairly young age and putting them in Moscow, John Terry's family, they were not 100% sure about the quality of the English schools, which they have in Moscow. And uh, pretty much after agreeing on everything, John Terry came back and said that he has questions about uh, pretty much doing the transfer and moving to Moscow for strictly for personal uh, terms and mainly from what we understand his wife was concerned uh, not about the football about just the lifestyle and about the kids so he pretty much said no but then Spartak tried to fix it um, there was offer um, they offered a little bit more money but after that John Terry still um, 
decided to stay, not to come to Moscow, and to for now, I, I, I'm not sure if what he's doing. He's not signed with any club, uh, but he decided to stay in England and not to join Spartak. He actually on his Instagram he posted a fairly nice message. He thanks Spartak for professionalism, and he said that he was very impressed with the level and everything what the club management offered him. But he decided to stay uh, with his family because they decided that that wasn't the right move. So pretty much. You know, Spartak is being criticized a lot for how they handled transfers, but looks like in this story, it was really Spartak did everything in what they could in their power, and they pretty much they completed the transfer almost because everything was agreed, the money was agreed, everything. But then John Terry went back to England and consulted with his family and took a family decision over his career, which is you know at his age is is the right thing to do. So it's not it's it's not really I'm upset because. You know, people been saying, "Oh, you're getting a 37-year-old um, old player, and you don't know how he will play." You know, if if this transfer would have happened in in summer, I would have been confused because really, there's no, there was no spot. But at, as as of right now, we only have two healthy central defenders, and really, I was looking forward to this transfer because really, we need one more central defender, regardless who it is, and also getting a player of such a massive caliber. Would have been a great, you know, advertising for the team, for for the league, and for the Russian football in general. So I thought it was a great transfer. I was very, very happy, and I kind of get disappointed that it didn't happen at the end. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, um... Do you think that you need to sign another player now, um, trying to find another center back, considering I don't what's think, going on? I don't think we can at this point, because there was some certain rule that you can sign the uh, free agents until mm-hmm. September the 14th, and that's why that deal with John Terry was so urgent. And when that fell through, uh, to be quite honest, the club just didn't have time to find another person. Even just like really, I think the, it was announced September 12th or 13th that John Terry is not coming. So really, it was only one, the matter of one of two days before the window. So uh, Massimo Carrera was asked about it. He said that he was disappointed and he was sad that John Terry didn't join because he's a big professional and big star and he wanted to have him, obviously, the player of such caliber. But he said that we would have to look within our resources, meaning that um, a few youngsters uh, will get their chance to play from Spartak 2. Uh, will get a chance to play and he's, and he actually, right now we have a couple young players training the team. Uh, I think one guy even flew, uh, to Vienna where Spartak will play tomorrow, a uh, Europa League game. And, um, Massimo Carrera said that definitely one of the youngsters will get their chance. So unfortunately at this point, the club would have to look um, within our own resources to find uh, another central defender. Yeah, and that, that can be a good thing, right? But, um, Andrew, I have to go to you next because you had an inkling that this entire thing could fall apart. Um, tell us a little bit. What, what was your thoughts when John Terry? I mean, you, you know, my opinion. I think that in some ways, Spartak maybe avoided a, a disaster here. But, uh, what is your thoughts on this whole thing falling through? Well, Actually, I, I do 100% understand why why you have that um, you have that suspicion, and it could well have ended up being a bit of a disaster. But it, the more the more we got used to the idea, the more I thought actually I think this makes kind of in a weird way a lot of sense. John Terry brings a lot of attention. That's the first thing. It's obvious that the the amount of I was actually a little surprised, not completely, but a little surprised quite how quite how much um, Spartak fans seem to take the idea of John Terry being their player right to heart. And it really was a big deal. You know, Tim, you talked about how how much the reception was um, over here. And that kind of attention, I know it's going to sound odd, but I actually I think it could have worked in Spartak's favour because they are struggling. 
They are without Quincy Promise, of course. They're, they're f- struggling to score goals. Um, but yeah, the attention on Terry, it would have to be, it would have to be a deal that sort of encouraged him to play, if you like. So in other words, the one plus one deal, I thought made sense. And if you take a bit of the heat off the other players in the side, there are young players in the side there, um, who, like Carrera mentioned, he wants to give some of the young guys a chance. Well, they could have had a chance. They could have had a senior player to look up to. John Terry's reception in Russia is very different to what English fans will think of him. They, they've seen him throughout his whole career. It's stating the obvious. It's nothing new. But coming to Russia, it's it's a symbol of English football. You know, it's a symbol of the English team, which is has not been the greatest for some time. But when it was at its best, or not at its best, but certainly much stronger, um, say about ten years ago, John Terry was at the centre of that. And I think that sort of attention, in a weird way, could have worked. Um, although the reasons that he stated for for not coming, I I can understand. I don't blame him entirely because there are. There are family issues. Um, there, there are, and there is uncertainty. There are very good schools in Moscow, international mm. schools. One we of know, our colleagues. Yeah, we know um, one of them. Yeah. Um, and actually, I've got I've got other friends who teach at other American language schools in Moscow, and they are they are top class. But you know, you don't know that until you're there, and to go to another country and uproot your entire family. However good the reality is on the ground, you, even if somebody tells you that, you don't want to trust it until you see it yourself. And I, I, I understand his reasons. Um, and in the end, look, Spartak will just have to get on with it. And it is going to be difficult without a uh, cover at the back, like Tim says. But look, it's I understand both sides, basically. I understand Spartak, I understand John Terry. Um, but in the end, Spartak will continue. Young players will come through, and in the end, Carrera, I, I have faith in his methods. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in one way, I think that Spartak perhaps um, avoided a little bit of a soap opera. On the other hand, this would have given us a lot of things to talk about for the next <laughs> year. <laughs> um, I think it would have been quite... Um, Quite fantastic. We could have had a, remember we had almost a Roberto Mancini special every week. <laughs> um, it could have been to a similar level. Now, um, of course, this is, this is, uh, very much, very much done and, uh, we can't really chat too much about it anymore, which is too bad. We had, we had a bit of fun last week chatting about all our favorite John Terry moments and, um, that was, that was good times and, um, I'm glad we had at least that because <laughs> it's, 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 you know, in some ways it's kind of sad that it fell through, even though I think, um, Tim, that you guys, uh, maybe avoided, um, a big issue considering all the other things that are going on because there was a poem posted about Massimo Carrera and, uh, Yeshenko and, uh, Glushakov ended up liking it, right? And this is the very reason of their suspension. And, um, I don't understand what, what what will it take for players to finally uh, get social media. You know the the fact how public it is that if you like something on social media, um, the entire world will know about it very quickly. Uh, is this just? I mean, t- first of all, tell us exactly what happened, and then your opinion on how stupid this actually was. Well, it's pretty comical and stupid. Uh, there is um, a very famous Russian actor who is a big supporter of Spartak. He shows up to every single home game. Uh, his last name is Nazarov, a very famous Russian player. And he has this uh, tradition that after every, almost every Spartak game, he writes a song or he writes a poem and in, um, you know, an artistic way describe his opinion. He is usually very supportive of Spartak of players and of Massimo Carrera in general, but something happened, I don't know, he, after uh, a loss against Ahmad Grozny, the the game which happened last weekend, Spartak lost at home 1-2, uh, he wrote a poem which pretty much criticized Massimo Carrera and said that he's not, there's like a famous kind of <clears throat> uh, chant that Massimo Carrera is one of us, 
And it kind of says that Massimo Carrera is not one of us anymore. He makes wrong uh, decisions. And um, this is kind of what the poem was about. So uh, Denis Goshakov, who is the captain of the club, and Andrei Yeshinka liked that uh, particular video on Instagram. Um, Yeshinko liked it on Instagram, and uh, Denis Goshakov liked it on on some other Spartak-related uh, forum where this video was reposted. And uh, based on that, Massimo Carrera uh, decided to suspend both players and send them to train the reserves. Uh, Spartak to, today left um, to play again again in Vienna to play the first game of Europa League, and both players are not included in the traveling squad. Um, so that's the first thing. And unfortunately, today, like as I woke up today to do the to do to do the the podcast today during the day in Russia, another thing happened to Denis Klushakov. I don't really want to talk about it, but the internet is just buzzing about it. Uh, the reason I don't want to talk about it because it's his personal life. I don't, don't feel the right that people should be talking too much about uh, people's personal life, but it is it is because he's a public person. You kind of have to expect, but he has some issues uh, in his family with his wife. Uh, they're filing for divorce for different reasons, and there were a few very, very, you know, displeasing videos posted on the internet and leaked, and it's really, I just really, I, I feel really bad for, for the guy, you know, he obviously had his, some, you know, not very good uh, period of form for Spartak after Spartak won the league, but honestly, like, there's so much really going around Denis Klushkov, who is the captain of the club, now he is suspended, now he has issues in his personal life. Um, it seems like the whole whole world is against him. And really, the whole, I, I, don't, I can't even understand what the situation right now in the camp. There's always was reported that Georgi Jike, who is the vice captain of the club, he right now is kind of filling in the captain role. And the role of Denis Glushakov is not really understood. It's, it's hard to understand right now for how long Yeshinka and Glushakov are suspended. Uh, for those for their social media likes, the next game is uh, the first game in the Europa League against Rapid Vienna. The second game, the next game on the weekend is a derby against CSKA. Mm -hmm. Also, a massive game. So it's it's really the situation is turbulent, and um, it's uncertain who is the club, who is the captain of the club, what's the role of those players, what's the relationship between the other players and the club, um, how did the team react that both players were suspended. Um, yeah, it's 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 not nice. No, it's not. And I mean, when you when you look at Klushakov, I think that the things that are going on in his personal life maybe explain some of the so, things um, going back, right? Because before absolutely. the before the World Cup, he was he was suspended, uh, not suspended, but he wasn't excluded, right, from the squad, mm -hmm. um, the Russia squad. And then there was issues um, even last season already between him and uh, Massimo Carrera. So this is not something. I mean, um, with Yeshenko, it's maybe a little different, but with Glushakov, it's not just about him liking a poem. This seems to go much Absolutely. deeper, right? Absolutely. When you look at, yeah, last, really last four or five months, I mean, and I mean, Andrew Glushakov was supposed to be one of the faces of the Sponaya going into the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I do want to second exactly what you said, Tim. I think you put it very tastefully there. It's not something we need to go into, but I think it does highlight the fact that, look, without getting too mushy and emotional, footballers are human beings as well. They do have personal lives. There are, for a million reasons, most of which we will never know, things that happen that we don't see that affect their form, affect their relationships, affect their decisions even. And, and I'm, I'm sad as well, actually. I think it's a good way to put it because I, I think, forget everything else, technically on the pitch, I do think Vushkov is one of the, the best midfielders that, that Russia have. I think he can do so many roles. He's a senior experienced player. Uh, he still has, um, good fitness. And I was perplexed at first why he wasn't playing, but in light of the things that we've discussed, it does make you think, look, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the pod that, that, uh, phone line for advice about doping. I think actually mm. possibly equally, if not of more importance, would be access to advice for literally anything <laughs> on a personal level for yeah. football, just simply talking, communication. Um, 
you know, social media is how most people communicate nowadays. And I think it can be good. It can give a little insight, harmless insight on one side of things. But on the other hand, there are, there are ways that it can be a bad thing. And, you know, I mean, when I, when I started out as a, as a journalist, I went to journalism college in Wimbledon and we had a training day where we were interviewing some young athletes who were on a training at Loughborough, which is the athletics center in, in England. And these were, you know, 15, 16 year old kids. They came into the room. They were nervous. They didn't know how to conduct an interview. And that's what we were there to do. We were supposed to interview them as if they were full on stars and they had mentors next to them saying, look, okay, with this sort of question, this is what you say. That sort of guidance on a face to face interview, that now is relatively commonplace, but social media training, awareness of it, the effects of it, um, and just personal lives as well. I think it really, you cannot, you cannot overstate how important that is. So I hope whatever issues there are on a professional and personal level for Denis Glushkov and any other player for that matter, I hope they are resolved in, in a tasteful way, at least because he deserves that much. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the bottom line really is that, you know, these, these are not just football players, but they, they, they're people, right? So, um, I hope that with, with Glushakov, everything works out because he is a fantastic player. He's an important player for Spartaki. At times was an important player for the Russian national team as well. So wish him all the best that it all works out. Um, guys, I want to kind of before from Spartak, to well, they the team that they are friends with, right, Tim? Um, Red Star Belgrade mm-hmm. making their comeback in the in the Champions League. Oh, actually, this is the first time ever they're playing the Champions League because the last time they were in this competition, there was still the European Cup. Of course, same trophy history is kind of combined, but um, it had a different name. Um, I think we all were kind of happy when, when Red Star made it back into this competition. Um, because, you know, having a side like that with so much history, a team that's won this, this, this really, this, this trophy, the only team from the Balkan, um, from, from former Yugoslavia to win this trophy, um, in 1991. Um, such an amazing amount of history and to see them back. And, um, yesterday, and the reason why I want to bring this up, Tim, is because they have a Canadian goalkeeper uh, <laughs> in, in Milan Bojan. And, um, he was absolutely fantastic against Napoli. They drew 0-0. Um, no Serbian team has ever won a game in the Champions League. Partizan was where twice in the group, uh, group stage before. Um, never managed to get, collect three points. Um, I guess we don't really expect too many great things from them, right, Tim? Um, but still, it's great to have him back. Absolutely, yeah. And I just watched the highlights of the game. They really fought, and uh, you know, it's nice to see the full stadium. Um, and uh, really, it's just this is just like the celebration of like you know when little club um, gets on the big arena and succeeds. And um, um, yeah, like I said, the Canadian goalkeeper he was brilliant. I saw uh, a few very very nice saves. And, um, like, yeah, like you said, it's, it is, it is an, um, a, a good, a, a club we would like to see doing well. Um, yeah, I don't think they will achieve anything special in this, in this league. And there must be, there will be, um, probably a battering or two of them, but mm, it's not about them. It's just they're showing, you know, we, we spoke many times that Balkan players, especially the young players, those Balkan clubs have very talented players. Uh, all Modric's and all, uh, you know, all the, all those players came from somewhere and they cl- came from clubs, from clubs like Cervena Zvezda, Hajduk, Partizan, Dinamo Zagreb. And that's why it is important to, for, for, for us as football spectators and football fans to watch those clubs. I'm sure there will be a couple of transfers after, after this campaign where Cervena Zvezda will sell a couple of players and they will go on bigger things. Yeah, Canadian national team goalkeeper Milian Borjan. I need to talk to him about it a moment because I mentioned him to you yesterday. And he said, "Whoop!" Like, well, <laughs> Tim, you need to know about this guy because um, he play. He's our number one in Canada's goal, and he did really well yesterday. Um, made seven, made seven big saves, uh, one clearance, uh, won one of one of his duels. 
saves inside the box. Um, three, I got all of this from SofaScore. He was voted the man of the match um, in the game. And his story is really special because he was born in Yugoslavia in uh, Knin, um, then had to, you know, during the conflict, him and his entire family, they fled from, um, from Croatia, then into, into Belgrade. And then from Belgrade made their way all the way to Hamilton, Ontario. So this is where the Canadian connection comes in, right? And he played some youth football at Mount Hamilton. But the story doesn't end there because he was a pretty talented player. So his family sent him to Uruguay of all places to play youth football for Nacional in Uruguay. Um, and then he went to Argentina to play for River Plate and then to Kilmes. And then he was at, at, at Boca Juniors and um, on went on trial there, but didn't get a contract. Um, finally made his way from there to Europe, um, to, to play at, uh, at Rad in, um, in Belgrade and has been kind of all over Eastern Europe and Turkey, um, since and has finally established himself as, as the number one goalkeeper at the biggest club of the country he was born in at the age of 30. This is, this is a remarkable story. All of this is just insane. I mean, when you hear about this, um, it, it shows you how difficult it is for a Canadian kid to make it as a professional player without the professional league being here, right? And of course, that's going to change in, in April. But I mean, this is just, um, a fantastic story. And, um, for, for Canadian listeners, and I know we have a few, um, they, they must be just glued to the television sets at the moment, um, trying to follow. Uh, Milan Borjan's Champions League campaign, right, Tim? Yeah, this is obviously nice to see a Canadian player doing that well because really, like, we don't, as as, as a nation, we don't have too many uh, players playing on top level. So anytime anybody plays a big game in Champions League, that's 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 a big success because really, like, there's not that many. Uh, you know, biggest now will be. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, Alfonso Davis, who will be playing in Bayern Munich. Uh, but yeah, that's exciting. Um, like I said, I had no, you know, I, I, I can't say that I'm glued to the uh, Canadian national team, but uh, now maybe I will be paying a little bit more attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, boys, before, before we leave this podcast, it's a little bit of a shorter one. Um, we have some Europa League action coming up tomorrow. Tim, what do you expect from Spartak? Oof, very, very hard question, my friend. To be quite honest, I don't know what to, to expect given all everything what's happening right now. Um, I'm not, don't know much about Rapid Vienna. Maybe you can help. But, um, I'm hoping obviously for, for a win, but, um, you know, given everything what's happening, it's hard. Yeah. Andrew, we spoke about Rapid, um, off, off the podcast a little bit, right? Because you did the preview on this and, um, Rapid, not exactly a team that's, um, Shooting out the lights in in Austria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you gave me some uh, some advice on some of the players, and I did some reading about them as well. I I don't watch the Austrian league, but they they are struggling. They they lost a derby at the weekend uh, to Austria Vienna, mm. and they they've lost a a few players that have been very important to them recently they have six injuries that have been players ruled out for the whole season you know all of those factors are going to count in spartak's favor um quite honestly i'd say a if spartak get a point out of that to just start a low key without drama without picking up any more injuries or anything else i think that would be a success and you know, I, I would imagine when Rapid come back to Moscow, they sh- Spartak should be looking at that for three points. But for the f- first game of the campaign, a draw would be fine, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's to be expected. Um, I want to talk about a couple of other games before we wrap this up as well. We have um, the preview, of course, on Pauk against Chelsea. Um, the reason why we previewed this one is, of course, two Russian oligarchs, Tim, with very different histories um, one of the oligarchs of course won't be even at this game for his um, last season antics 
Yeah, that's a pretty crazy story. The other oligarch is also having some issues. So they're both right now in some kind of uh, interesting situations. Um, but yeah, Pauk, like I said, I, Pauk, I was really impressed with them. Then they play against Spartak. But that second game against Benfica really kind of showed their limitations. So to be quite honest, I don't expect much given in which form Chelsea are right now. Uh, but again, I'm not sure how Chelsea, how seriously will Chelsea take, uh, this tournament because obviously for them, what's happening in the English Premier League right now is more important. Yeah. I think I expect Chelsea to quite heavily rotate their side. Yeah. For this game. This, this was what I wrote in the preview, which is up on footballgrad.com. So, um, not too many expectations. Um, especially as I think that Chelsea will probably qualify for the Champions League. We are the, league um which is of course something that we cannot expect from another london-based club right andrew in arsenal they're playing the ukrainian side Vorskla. um for arsenal this 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 competition is very much a route to the champions league yeah yeah i mean it certainly should be um as we know in clubs have a rather arrogant disdain for the europa league which is wildly misplaced in my view but this is a genuine uh, genuine opportunity for them uh, I mean, Liverpool were fantastic last night and they have been, they are a seriously dangerous side. And honestly, I, I hate to say this, this just churns me up inside, but they are my, honestly, my tip for the Champions League this season. They really are that good. Um, Manchester City, of course, we know how, how strong they are. You've got Chelsea, you've got Spurs, you've even got Manchester United potentially, um, who have not played to their potential, but when they do, I would argue are a stronger side anyway. So Arsenal, um, yeah, they, they have to take this, this competition seriously. So, yeah, I think, um, I'd be surprised even with rotation if Arsenal didn't get a result. But then again, strange things have happened. So we'll, we'll see how seriously they do take it. Yeah, I did the preview for this one. I'd be surprised if Waskla got anything out of this game, even, um, even with Arsenal rotating. Um, just can't see it. Uh, this was a surprise third place finish last year in, in the Ukrainian Premier League. Um, a very well run club, but a very, very small club. Um, even by the standards of Ukrainian football. So yeah, I don't expect them to get much. It's a huge success for them, for them to be there. And, um, it will be maybe the game of the year for them playing at the Emirates or Arsenal Stadium, I guess, as a call for European competition. So. Um, that preview, as I said, on footballgraph.com. Boys, that's it for this week. We, we're done. Um, a little bit, bit faster than usual, but I mean, we had, we had a few key things to discuss. Um, Andrew, um, other you, other than you hanging out at the Geolog, what's going on this week for you? Um, yeah, I'm busy on the, the Russian clubs in Europe and the preview front on football grad. I've really, I, you know, this is the stage of a season I really like because you've had the, the first, first part and we get to write a, with a bit of an authority about the clubs. So more previews coming for that. And well, I've mentioned it a couple of times before, but I'm just so excited about it. The biggest thing for me, the next couple of weeks will be planning, getting my accreditation for a trip to see Cisco, Moscow, Lokomotiv and Zenit in European action in three weeks time. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Um, looking forward to see all the stuff that you're going to do with that. Um, Tim, how about you? Well, I obviously will be following uh, a madness that's happening right now in Spartak. Uh, we have a game in Europa League on Thursday and then the big game, the biggest game of the season against Teska, the biggest derby in Russia. And um, given everything what's happening right now, I'm a little bit nervous how that happens. But um, it has been proven many, many times that the, the worse the situation for Spartak gets, the better results we show. And the easier the game which we're supposed to play, um, the harder it is. So it could be a positive sign in that sense when, you know, the team can get behind, um, the club, the badge and maybe show a good game. Um, yeah, I'll be following uh, that as usual. And if you want to see some, uh, retweets about Spartak Moscow in, in foreign language, then the Russian team 61 on Twitter and rocket from Russia on Instagram. Yeah, good stuff. Keep that a follow. You can follow, um, me at Manuel Vef and you can find all the podcasts that we do, all the, the previews that I just alluded to, um, at Football Grad Live on Twitter or, and on footballgrad.com. And then of course we also have, um, uh, fußballstadt.com and, uh, footballsidage.com as well as a Facebook page and a Twitter account. So give those a like, a follow, etc. 
Well, guys, that's it. Until next week. Das wird dann jetzt. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.